0: Coming up next on the Passionately Married Podcast.
1: And a lot of people worry that if they don't have the hot and heavy spontaneous desire, that there's something wrong. Right. That that change away from hot and heavy horny is a worsening. That there's something worse about the responsive desire where you're like, oh, oh, right. This this was a really good idea. I'm glad we are here now. Right. That's actually the couples who sustain a strong sexual connection over decades. Responsive desire is how they experience desire most of the time.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Corey Allen, and alongside my wife, who's dancing alongside me, I love this music. We explore the wisdom and skills of the world's smartest relationship (laughs) minds. We want to have in-depth conversations that explore topics everyone is going to face. We want to offer conversation starters and actions that you can take to propel your life and marriage forward. If you're new to the show, an easy way to check us out is check out our episode starter packs. This is a way Mm -hmm. you can introduce people or find the information you're looking for. You're going to go to passionatelymarried.net forward slash starter, and that gets you jump started into everything we've done thus far. If you got some feedback or something we've missed, let us know. 214-702-9565 or feedback at passionatelymarried.net. So as we get started today, you know, this is the second week under Passionately Married Podcast. Mm -hmm. And we've got some housekeeping things we need to take care of. And one of them right off the bat is since we switched to a new URL from smrnation.com to passionatelymarried.net. Uh, I picked up the URL net just a couple months ago. And so it's a new, it's been dormant for a while. Someone might have had it years ago, but it's been dormant. And so anytime you start a new domain, um, I've been sending a lot of emails and communications from that. Uh, if you've wondered if it's been kind of quiet, check your spam folders because a lot of the email servers and aggregators uh, okay. don't let some of those through until it starts learning.
2: Gotcha. Sending um, it to spam.
0: Because if it's new, that's a common way spam people mm-hmm. operate mm-hmm. is new URLs all the time, just constantly gotcha. trying to stay ahead of it. So check your spam folders or your junk folders. And there's messages coming from us because they've been coming out almost every day this past week with different things that we've got going on. Yeah, especially you if you're part of about. the
2: academy and learning... You know, some of, the, some of the new stuff's coming out.
0: Absolutely. And on that note, uh, with the Academy levels, we have several different levels here with the nation that mm-hmm. goes on at my.passionatelymarried.net. Um, you can join for free, and there's a lot of information that's going on and new challenges that are coming. Uh, one starts this week as this is airing. It's the January healthier you equals a sexier you challenge nice. that we're hosting there. But there's also deeper levels, and one is the Academy, which gets you the extended content. But we also have a new level. And that's the masterclass level.
2: Okay. If you you,
0: you join the masterclass level, you get all the levels ahead of you, which is the extended Mm -hmm. content, the monthly Q&A calls, um, the deeper dialogues on the platform. But Mm -hmm. this also gets you access. As long as your subscription is active, you get access to all of our video courses. Oh, nice. And so if you want to join that, and then you can cancel or downgrade or upgrade at any time.
2: Even the new ones you just put out last year?
0: Absolutely. They're all available and you get access to them as long as your account is active. Okay. At that level. So passionatelymarriednet forward slash academy is where you're going to learn more. And then what else has been going on is uh, I just posted the My Favorite Reads from 2022 mm-hmm. uh, this past week. It's a list of 41 books that I made it through last year.
2: <laughs> so you made through all of them and they're all listed as your favorite reads? No, or no. they're just listed just as here's good, what I made it through in 22. Good 2020.
0: clarification. This, this is what I, I made it through and then I put asterisks by the ones that really stood out to me. Okay. Because okay. I've got a whole bunch of fictions that I read. I didn't, none of those were my favorites. Those are just good fun reads. But yep. on the nonfiction list, there's a lot of really good ones that stood out to me this year. And sometimes that's good information because we got a lot of readers in the nation. Mm-hmm. And so check those out. You can find them on the platform, uh Passionatelymarried.net. Um, also, emailed it out too. And then the last thing I just mentioned to you on the January Healthier You Challenge uh, this week, we're asking you to post a picture of your workout equipment or environment.
2: Not yourself, nope. just your environment. Just where are you
0: doing? Where, because this is What's about your setup? how are you trying to start the year off well? And so go to my.passionatelymarried.net, join the conversation. You'll look under the challenges, and it's all there for you. Well, coming up on today's regular free version of the Passionately Married podcast is a conversation uh, I got to have with Emily Nagowski.
2: Nice. She's been on before. And
0: she has. Mm -hmm. And actually, the conversation went so well, everybody gets the whole show today. Oh, my goodness. So, extended and regular are all together. Happy New Year to Mm -hmm. you. Uh, But this is a conversation about where does sex happen in the brain? What's going on in your brain? Okay. And the desire, responsive, spontaneous desire, that she's got the accelerators and brakes, because Mm -hmm. what she did during COVID... And the pandemic lockdown was, she rewrote, Come As You Are. Okay. And updated it because the science has changed. And so she updated. The science got has more changed. Current, Our
2: bodies are still the same.
0: But she's got more current science associated with it. it
2: okay. And is it a wording more to, um, is it kind of like one where before Pam wouldn't have understood it, being me, because it was more academic and now
0: it's there's moments of it of, yes that okay. i probably were uh, she even talks about this in the show of mm-hmm. the yeah that doesn't really land that phraseology doesn't really land with a broad group of people because mm-hmm. it is a little more academic or sciencey right and which would not be me <laughs> so so she's gone through and changed the verbiage to make it more applicable to a wider audience and updated some things and it was a fantastic Very good. and fun conversation Very good. so all that's coming up on today's show it's always fun to have a old guest back on the show which today is one of those days with Emily Nagowski uh, dr Emily Nagowski let me let's make it official and because it's true I mean I I walk in the same shoes in the sense of we've earned it right we there's a lot right. of, a lot of a lot of time and energy and money put into uh getting to those levels but Emily's back um she, you were back in 2020 one of the episodes way way back on. When we were talking about Come As You Are, which is your main work that you were known for, kind of came on the scene, and the reason we reached out to you, Emily, is because um, you've been doing some updating, and it's yes, I wanted I to get have. you back on the show so we can talk about that, so welcome back. To-
1: it is so delightful to be back. I rarely get the opportunity to do something a second time.
0: Well... That's just rather unfortunate because there are some things that we want to do multiple times.
1: As I was saying it, I know I was see, like, I know that I, doesn't I, sound I, great.
0: <laughs> well, I'll go there. That's where mine is. And I you know, so we'll we'll get along just fine again, Emily. But <laughs> but uh so there is uh with Come As You Are, it came out I mean it has been out it was out for a while and 2015
1: then 2015 it was originally right, published. And yeah. then
0: you just re re-released it or updated it if like mid 2021, am I
1: Yes, what I did with my pandemic is I rewrote Come As You Are.
0: Okay, well, what a great great way to to spend the time. So so I'm curious, what what was the motivation and the impetus behind uh, the rewrite?
1: There were a couple of reasons. One, of course, is that the science is changing. The science is always changing. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be fully up to date just because there's science being done right now that Mm -hmm. I wish I could integrate into the book. Uh, And also... Once the book was published, I started traveling all over the country and to different countries also, and hearing what people's questions still were and hearing their stories about what had been helpful for them and what had not been helpful for them. And I learned a lot about how to communicate these big, important, potentially life changing, potentially marriage saving ideas Mm -hmm. in a way that is more effective. Like you said, PhD, right? So I learned how to write science. It turns out writing science is not a good way to write like a book that you <laughs> want human beings to it's, read and enjoy.
0: It's fine in the academia world for the right. most part, but not beyond. I mean, that's that's the role that's the role. A lot of ways, my wife plays on the show in the sense of, dude, get out of the theory, get out of the academia. You talk gotta, about
1: people's lives. Talk
0: to me. Talk talk to me like I'm at a fourth grade yeah. level. Yeah.
1: Yes. Uh, so, I rewrote parts of it that were too deep in the science and not enough like applicable to people's daily lives right
0: okay and so what is is there some things that you've seen in, in the seven years of science that have really like wait this needs to be noted now because it is an important shift an important discovery an important aspect of what's going on and what we now know because again we're always learning new things, and so about humans and interactions and psyche and everything. So, are there some that just yeah. really stand out? Well,
1: so for the dual control model, should I do a review?
0: Yeah, let's, yeah, because there will be there will be a lot of people that are listening to this that they didn't hear the first one, and I would say oh, go yeah. back in the archives, listen to it. I'll Hello put a link. You. I'll put a link into it. But Emily, uh, we'll get you caught up here too. So,
1: very quickly, the dual control model is. Uh, a theory about the mechanism of how sex works in our brains, which is, here's the wacky thing. What if sex works in our brains just like everything else? (laughs) What a wacky idea, Uh, which is that it's a a pairing, a couple. It's a dual control model. So there's two parts. There's uh, an excitatory system and an inhibitory system Mm -hmm. or an accelerator and brakes, Mm -hmm. right? So the sexual accelerator notices all the sex-related information that's coming in. So this is everything that you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, and crucially, everything you think, believe, or imagine that your brain codes as being sex-related. And it sends the turn-on signal that a lot of us are familiar with. It's working all the time, including right now. We're talking about sex. It's a little bit Mm sex-related. So there's like a little bit. Of turn on signal being sent right now. But fortunately, at the same time, your brakes are there, noticing all the good reasons not to be turned on. Okay. Everything that you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, and crucially, think, believe, or imagine that your brain codes as a potential threat. Okay. And it sends the turn off signal. So the process of becoming aroused is a dual process of turning on the ons, yes, but also turning off the offs. Okay. One of the things that we know about the dual control model in the world is that people vary in their sensitivity of their brakes and in the sensitivity of the accelerator. So some people have really sensitive accelerators and very not sensitive brakes. Right. And if you're driving a car that's got a really sensitive accelerator and very not sensitive brakes,
0: yeah, not a good plan.
1: That it, it could it could well, be a lot of fun under really safe circumstances. <laughs> And also, yeah, those are folks who are most likely to experience um, using sex as a maladaptive coping strategy. So if they feel stressed, depressed, anxious, lonely, or repressed rage, they're likely to want to use sex, which is so immediately available to their brain, as a way to downregulate from those uncomfortable states. I feel like that was much too technical.
0: No, no, no. I think, I mean, I would say in, in large part, the, the nation is going to be able to keep up with a lot, because this is a lot Come of the vernacular the we use on the sense of, we we use different things for different reasons, and some of them mm-hmm. are, aren't always good. Some of them yeah. can be, some of them we need to purify and make them a little more genuine. Some of them just need to be more honest. And I, and I love, the thing I love about the dual control model, Emily, is the idea that they're working in tandem, like a synergy in a sense. That they feed off each other, they help each other, uh, they enhance and inhibit each other. You know, there's there's some elegance in this whole thing. And if you're looking at it in this idea of okay, wait, if I'm way too sensitive on the accelerators, meaning the slightest little thing will steer it, because this is my belief has been we have sexualized a lot of things in our lives as humans nowadays that aren't sexual. We've just made them so. And some because it's fun. And some because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a quick release or it's easy anxiety um, regulation yeah. or validation or all of the different psychological terms we could put in here. And and so it's yeah. just – it's recognizing, okay, that's a component of, of the makeup of people and then that's going to wreak havoc yeah. on the people they live life with, particularly their spouses <laughs> because mm-hmm. if they're living in a monogamous relationship – and they're honoring their, that commitment, then that puts a lot of pressure on the spouse.
1: Yeah. And I really love that if people can recognize individual differences, like my partner has a different sensitivity of breaker accelerator than I do, mm-hmm. it helps to normalize the differences in experiences of desire and arousal and like orgasm, right. how readily it happens or whether or not it happens. It turns out folks with really sensitive breaks are the folks who are most likely to struggle with sexual difficulties, whether it's arousal desire, pleasure, orgasm. Right. So it's really helpful to know how people vary. But in the first version of Come As You Are, I have this whole big long thing about gender differences in the ways people learn what counts as sex-related. And uh, in the last five or so years, it's increasingly becoming clear that it's not gender identity, it's not biological sex assigned at birth. It is not sexual orientation. It's really just sensitivity of the accelerator in particular that makes people, for example, potentially more prone to... um, kinkiness or paraphilias, as you might technically call them. Um, And I, so I took out all the gender stuff because it's turning out that it's the dual control model above anything else that's a good predictor.
0: Okay. And that, I think that's, I think that's incredibly important because it starts to make it recognizable on, wait, how do we often stereotype or pigeonhole things that aren't necessary? Mm -hmm. And that then creates another issue and dynamic we have to face and deal with. And so, more we can simplify or clean it and get it to where, okay, this is what we're really facing. If nothing else, it can empower people to look at it as, okay, wait, this is just me. This is humans. This is the the quintessential human.
1: Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with having a really sensitive accelerator or a really sensitive brake or a really not sensitive accelerator or a really not sensitive brake. And most of us are heaped up in the middle being average. And that's great too. It's all normal. It's just recognizing that when people vary from each other, that can be important to recognize Mm -hmm. if you have one sex partner that you've decided to have sex with for the rest of your life, even in other relationship structures. But I think especially when like you picked a person and this is now your person, like you want to understand them as right. thoroughly as you can in order to be able to work with right. the whatever you have available to you. Yeah,
0: right. No, I I love it because that's that's kind of the, a different way of framing the idea of being a student of of my system, myself, and my partner. Yes, of of recognizing and a student of your
1: partner, right?
0: Recognizing the way they work, the way they what yep. what speaks to them, what doesn't speak to them, what accelerates them, what's what slows them down. Those are all good yeah. good data pieces to understand.
1: And also I find one of the really wonderful things about the dual control model, it helps people not take things personally. Right. Like when you're in the mood and your partner's not in the mood, you don't have to think, well, there must be something about me that's the problem or must be something about our relationship or there must be something wrong with my partner. No, (laughs) it could just be. Stress is yeah. just like slamming on this person's brakes, and it doesn't matter how much they love you and are attracted to you. The fact is their brake is on the floor, and they what they need is not to love you more or be more attracted to you. Right. They need their stress to be relieved.
0: right. Right. And that's, yeah, because this is the the one that keeps jumping up uh, uh, personally in my wife and I's relationship is I love reading. So at the end end of the day, um, I'll I'll pull out a fiction book and read, but all of my library is electronic. So I read on my phone, right? And so I don't use actual paper books very, very rarely anymore. And my 17 year old took the Kindle and I don't know where it is now. So (laughs) it's all in the Kindle app on my phone. And there will be times where there could be something that could be sexual heading towards in th- that evening. But if she comes in and I've got my phone and I'm just reading, it's a break for her. And it, because That it's,
1: is so important. Because
0: it's a disconnect. It's like, oh, you'd rather be doing that. Oh. oh you know, yeah. and it's, it's however she interprets it, whether it's this whole, I'm just passing the time until you came in here, which I'm not intending it as a break. So now I've got to recognize, all right. Mm-hmm. I got a but dilemma. her brain
1: sees that phone yep. and is like, that's a wall.
0: I've got a dilemma. She's got a dilemma. How do we yes. navigate this better? It's kind of and what we're And neither of
1: you is wrong. Exactly.
0: Exactly. That's just, just the circumstance and dynamic. Yeah. Okay.
1: That's a perfect example.
0: Yeah. And that, that's kind of what I was hoping to get clarified. It's just because I think this helps people get a tangible, here we go, this is what we're facing.
1: Right. Exactly. Uh, also, insert here the first year after bringing a child into your relationship. <laughs>
0: Well, you could even add more than the first year. You could go, more. <laughs> you could go beyond. But case in point, that fits too. Yes.
1: Yeah, that hits the brakes. Um, another thing that changed in the book, the desire chapter, I would say, is the desi- is the chapter that changed more than any other chapter. Partly because it's so very important, and partly because I learned that what people need is different from how I wrote it. Okay. Um, so here's how I talk about it now. The desire chapter is really about responsive desire. So most of us were raised with the idea that desire is spontaneous, that it just kind of appears out of the blue. You're All of a sudden, you're like, hey, baby, wanna? Right. And that absolutely is a normal and healthy way to experience sexual desire. But also, there's another way that's normal and healthy. It's called responsive desire, where instead of just spontaneously out of the blue, you have to sort of have a setup. So maybe it's date night and you prepare yourself. You do the sexy grooming and you listen to something sexy in the bathtub. And then you, like, you know, trim your ear hair or shave your legs or do whatever it is that is the thing that makes you feel like your body is ready. And you turn off the lights and you have sexy conversation. And that all is giving your brain time to transition out of your daily life into a state of mind where your brakes can let go of the world and your accelerator is free to do its job. That's responsive desire. It Mm -hmm. emerges in response to pleasure. Right. Whereas spontaneous desire emerges in anticipation of pleasure.
0: Good distinction.
1: So... That's not how I wrote it in the first version of Come As You Are, because what the science says is that spontaneous desire emerges in response to low levels of arousal and responsive desire emerges in response to much higher levels of arousal. Okay. So when I hear the word arousal, I'm hearing what scientists mean, which is increased heart rate. Uh, activation of particular brain systems prioritized over other brain systems. It turns out that is not what most people hear when they hear the word arousal. Right. What they hear <laughs> is genital response. Right. For them, that's what arousal is. And uh, that was an important lesson. I was talking to a couple. They both had PhDs. They both read every word of come as you are and understood what I wrote. <sighs> so... It's the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Wife puts the kid to bed, comes down. They're just going to watch TV together for a while. Husband puts his hand right down her pants. And she goes, oh, no, I am not in the mood. And he says, but you will be. Because what he heard when I said arousal first, then desire, is if I just stimulate the genitals, I'm making a hand gesture that I feel really grateful people can't see. <laughs> if I just stimulate the genitals, like that'll get her aroused. Right. And then she'll experience desire. Right. And it's, it doesn't matter that the previous six chapters had explained oh, that yeah. it's not genital response that matters. It's oh, yeah. pleasure that matters. And pleasure depends on context. You have to create a context to allow a sensation to be pleasurable. Um and I was like, okay, no, no, yeah. that is, that is not, that's the opposite of what I intended. Must clarify. To use. And so I changed the language from what the science says, which is arousal first, then desire, and changed it to pleasure first, then desire. That's good. So that people would know that you can't just stuff your hand. Well, I mean, for some people that works great. Just like stuff your hand on your partner's pants right. and they'll be like, oh, right. Okay. Right. Good idea. Right. But for a lot of people... They need to preheat the oven,
0: yes. Yeah. and it,
1: even even genitals will not necessarily feel pleasurable when they're stimulated. If it's out of the blue, right. If you're like in the middle of a million other things, if you're just decompressing from the day, right, your genitals are not ready. And that sensation will not feel pleasurable until you create a context that lets your brain interpret that sensation as
0: right. and And you even talk about this, and this is what we talked about, I believe, in the very first time we spoke a couple of years back on um, the non-concordance or the incongruent right. component that you were discovering too, that the body could respond, but the brain's not into it or the brain could try to be into it, but the body's not responding. And so there's exactly there can be a disconnect. And some of this applies here in that, yeah. well, yeah, there might be something, you know, it, it, let's go stereotypical for a second. You put, uh, as a wife, you put your hand down your husband's pants, the penis might get erect, but that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean he's all like, oh yeah, let's go. It could just be
1: Yeah, it doesn't mean desire. It doesn't even mean pleasure. You're right.
0: It's just like, it's a a response in some regards, but it may not connect to everything.
1: Never do this, but like you could also put a vacuum cleaner right over a penis and like suck all the blood up and get an erection. That doesn't mean you've got pleasure or desire for that.
0: And just to clarify, never do this. Never do (laughs) this. Okay, let's just (laughs) say
1: The idea, though, is, I mean, yeah. like penis enlargement tools are often just like vacuum suction pumps. Right. Again, another gesture that I'm glad people can't see.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. But I think everybody's <laughs> picturing it. They know exactly what we're talking about oh. here, Emily. So don't even sweat. So you
1: can get blood flow to go. It's really not about the blood flow. Correct. Pretty much ever. Right. It's about what's going on between the person's ears. Right. And that's- so, it are, is the accelerator being stimulated and are the brakes, maybe more than the accelerator, are the brakes decompressing?
0: All right. So that's a fantastic update to, to this because I yeah. think that's a great distinction to help people because it is so interesting of how often do we as humans also um, hear what we want to hear in a lot of ways or hear it mm-hmm. just out of context even. Because, again, you even make the comment in the original writing, and then in our we've in our conversations we've had in the past, too, of context is king here. It really right? is. It's, it's making it all in the situational component yeah. of it. And the moment is to recognize, okay, this is how things work, and now empowering people with a better language, I
1: yeah. think,
0: helps in tremendous ways.
1: And let's think about all the other choices that husband had in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, there decompressing from the day they're gonna maybe Netflix and chill but his job is not to increase blood flow to anyone's genitals his job if he wants sexy times to happen is to create a context that makes it easy for the accelerator to be stimulated and for the brakes to go away right and the best way to know how to do that for your partner is to ask them
0: (laughs) shocking (laughs) I
1: know and I like Talking about sex is different from talking about other sensitive topics, like Mm -hmm. talking about raising your kids is difficult. Talking about money is difficult. Talking about how you spend your time with other people, that those are all big, difficult conversations. But man, one of the things I integrated more into the new come as you are is honoring how difficult these conversations truly can be. Right. Because everybody was raised with some kind of script. Yep. About who they're supposed to be. Yep. As a sexual person. And almost all of it is um, incompatible with a happy, healthy, long term sexual connection, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh So if we take like the masculinity script. Which uh, I call it human winner syndrome. OK, where. If on the day you're born, people look at your genitals and go, it's a boy, then they raise you according to this set of rules about which emotions you're allowed to express and how you're allowed to express them. So you can have angry. It's a boy. You're allowed to have angry. You can have winning. And you have horny. But you're not really allowed to have lonely. Right. For example. Right. Or hurt or sad. And so recognizing that like, I need to be able to talk to my partner about how lonely I feel when they say no. Like when I try to initiate sex and they say no, it's not just that they're saying no to sex. It really feels like they're saying no to my whole personhood. Right. Because it's an incredibly vulnerable thing to do. Right. So talking about sex requires betraying all the rules you were ever taught about who you're supposed to be (laughs) as a person. When I say like the best thing to do is talk about it, I want to honor the fact that it actually does require relearning how to be a person in connection with another person. And for the it's a girl type people, you're taught that you have a moral obligation to be pretty, to be happy and calm and generous and attentive to the needs of others. And if your partner asks you for sex and you're like, no, not uh. right. You have all this like pain from saying no, and like if your partner keeps asking and keeps asking, eventually you will just say yes because right. saying yes hurts less than trying to protect your no. Like these are not great dynamics for a long-term sexual connection.
0: Right, right, because they they become oppressive. They become tro- I mean, majorly almost shameful. And, and how we can internalize and interpret it and, and attach oh, the gosh, meaning yes. to it right
1: yes, yes the shame women feel around their bodies mm-hmm. and the shame men feel I mean you're more of an expert in the in the guy part than <laughs> I am, but in my experience, the shame that men feel around really vulnerable emotions like loneliness and grief mm-hmm. sadness, isolation I went i uh was a guest speaker at a big like conference thing full of people. It was like a relationship, weekend long relationship thing in a beautiful resort. And I was doing a Q and A with a bunch of heterosexual monogamous couples. And we got into a conversation about porn. And I said the thing I say, which is that porn itself um, is, is not the difficult part. It is your relationship with it because if you're turning to porn instead uh, to right. avoid right. a conversation with your partner or because you don't feel like you're allowed to have a conversation with your partner, that, the dangerous part there is you're feeling like you can't have the conversation with your partner. Porn is just like filling in the gap right. that's created by your inability to connect with your partner.
0: Right,
1: And they like, they had a really hard time. They had a really hard hard time. when I said that a bunch of guys stood up and talked about how they had recovered from their porn addiction by having conversations with their partner. Okay. Which is how you solve the difficulties. Right. Because I mean, you know, in any long-term relationship, I'm talking about long-term relationships a lot right now because the book I'm currently writing is about sustaining a sexual connection over multiple decades. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so I'm thinking about sex and long-term relationships a lot and it's just normal in a long-term relationship that some gunk is going to accumulate, Absolutely. some frustrations about like daily chores and like the tiny little like movement of a person's eye that you experience as like, oh, there's something going on there and they're not talking about it. And I feel like I can't talk about it, but now it's this thing that's in me and it like calcifies and grows right. and right. turns into like this thing that blocks your connection together. And my very first clinical supervisor, when I was getting my master's degree in counseling, called it cleaning out the pipes. Okay. Sometimes you have to have the kind of fight where like you just like get it all out. You flush the system so that you can come back to each other without all that stuff blocking it. That's normal. That's not a sign that anything is going wrong in the relationship. And all that stuff that's blocking up your connection is that likely to be the kind of thing that activates the accelerator <laughs> right no right you're like little like the cumulative resentments over like why am i always the one who has to let the dog out why yep. am i always the one who has to let the dog out why won't my partner ever so like every time it happens and it happens every day yep it builds up and that frustration is, is not going to activate the
0: accelerator right Right. Those are all things. I mean, that's that's where I kind of landed on this idea that when you're talking about long-term committed relationships, I fully believe marriage is designed to help us grow up. It's a mechanism to challenge us to clean out things and deal with it and be more evolved is the word that comes to mind, but it's refined, actually, I think is a better way to think about it. Of
1: I like to think about it because I feel that way about my marriage, certainly, that the role of my marriage in my life. No, my role in my marriage is to be as good a me as I'm capable of being mm-hmm. on any given day. Mm-hmm. And it makes me better. Yep. I become more myself and more who I am. Yep. And the more I do that, the fewer obstacles I let live between me and my partner, Yep. the more I help him to be the best he version of himself. Yeah. And it's, ah for me i find that experience to be sexy yeah like holy crap he has grown so much as a person in the last we've been together for 11 years now which i know is not long by a lot of people's lights but like if you had asked me when i was 25 if i would ever be in a relationship for 11 years in a row right i'd have been like i don't know
0: girl 11 11's no joke that's the, the the shine has worn off for certain by eleven. So you're you're into it. And
1: here's the weird thing is like he's shinier to me now than ever mm-hmm. because I can see the ways he has. Like I fell in love with him real fast, but because I have seen have seen the way he has grown as a person, some of which I know I've facilitated, like I made it easier mm-hmm. for him to grow that way. Like talk about things I activate the accelerator, right? Like hey has grown and is so impressive.
0: Yeah, and that's the stuff that we don't look at real cleanly a lot of times, right? That's that stuff that when you're talking about the buildup that can happen, um, I hold that against them rather than recognizing at the same time, I've got the data to be able to look at who they were versus who they are. Right. Right. I mean that's I think of it I mean cuz my Pam and I are coming up on 30 years next year in 2023. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean 30 years. Holy crap, that's a ton of time to think about, but it also is when like man, that's a lot of of mileage together. And and so that can be one of those things that it's like I see who we are now. I see who I am, I see who she is. That I can Lose sight of the fact that that's really impressive and how we have evolved and challenged each other in a lot of ways. And when right. I can, because re- you have
1: also irritated each <clears throat> other.
0: That comes. That's part of the process. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, but that's it, the
1: grit that makes the pearl.
0: Absolutely. So when you can look at it, though, it's just as a reminder of, oh yeah, that's right. Because I think of, you know, if something ever happened by tragedy or, or choice, even that, I, the idea of starting over. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. That does not sound appealing because it's like, we've put in so much work. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And that's, so when a relationship is difficult, when it's a source of stress, when the relationship itself hits the brakes, that's going to interfere with your Mm -hmm. sexual connection with that person. And so, like, out in the world, if you meet something, meet a person with whom you have not yet had enough time to develop a bunch of stuff that hits the brakes, it's going to feel like that relationship really activates the accelerator so much more than this relationship does right when in reality it's just that that relationship does not yet hit your brakes
0: right there's not enough data in there to really activate that's this the turn off that's the frustration that's the yeah. resentment creating components.
1: Given enough time, that yep. person definitely will.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I guarantee you they won't let the dog out or whatever the metaphor actually fits. Or whatever
1: the thing <laughs> is, <Yep>. yeah.
0: <laughs> they won't do something that you want them to be doing that
1: yes, Why do you period. leave the recycling in the kitchen sink? Why? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> now you're speaking everybody's language here, Emily, because every, everybody relates to— oh, Really, it's like a two-foot move from the— kitchen counter to the dishwasher. How is that the longest like two feet in the world? I don't get it. It's not that difficult.
1: And if you have kids and you have that same critique of your kids, and then your partner's in the same category as your kids, that is that is not a sex-related stimulus. <laughs> no,
0: that's There's a huge break right there.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So but these
1: conversations are difficult.
0: Absolutely. And they, and, but they're also so needed. Because when you're talking about a long-term relationship, we either have one of two things, I think, that are choices. One is we just get to a level of depth that we're never going to go beyond because it's just mm-hmm. the roommate syndrome. It's the playing the roles. It's playing house. It's coexisting. It's whatever label you want to put. Or we face these conversations to really go deeper and move through them. Yes. So that's it means really we don't have very many choices. So it's just which one do you choose?
1: Yeah. And there are, it's, it's so scary to like pick up a tool and start digging to go deeper. Mm-hmm. And, and we worry about how our partner will respond if we're like, I would like to dig deeper into this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, one of the things that I also include in the newcomers you are is. The ways that we respond to our partner's initiation, not just of sex, but of conversations around sexuality is really important because our we are afraid just as much as our partners are afraid of being judged, of being shamed, of having a part. Like if we talk about a fantasy we have that we'd like to try right. out in a relationship, it's a huge vulnerable risk to be like, I have this fantasy and I'd like to try it with you. And... It's a possibility that your partner might hear it and go, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and just be horrified. And that's not going to, that's not. Right. That is another wall that gets set up. It's going to hit the brakes. So you set up the conversation to be like, I want to talk to you about this sexual thing because I love our erotic connection and I want to take it to an extra level. I think that we could really experience something. Right very pleasurable for both of us if we try this. And I'm still worried that when I say it, you're going to be really surprised or maybe even shocked. So what I'd like to ask is, can we, I'm going to say the thing and then we just like take 10, 20 seconds to breathe and keep our faces neutral and allow the moment to happen so that neither of us says anything that isn't really how we feel but it's just a gut reaction and you can receive this information from your partner you can receive their stuff recognizing that you would not want them to go right if you said something so you're going to even though like we have all been trained from very early on to have a sense of like this is good this is bad this is normal this is wrong right and all of those are just like made up barriers Right. Uh, I have a my definition of normal sex is uh, it's any sex that all the people involved are glad to be there and free to leave with no unwanted consequences, plus no one's experiencing unwanted pain. Okay. So, whatever your partner says, as long as it includes everybody's glad to be there, free to leave, and only wanted pain if there's pain involved, then there's no need to be worried
0: right I mean at least to have the conversations about it to the invitations towards it the working towards it that absolutely yeah. yep. and
1: you may still be a no for yeah. whatever it is yeah but you can be a no without judging without. your partner right. or making your partner feel judged
0: right yeah you can be a no without shots fired as you walk out the room
1: yeah it can just be like a neutral non-judgmental that's not for me thanks
0: yeah Yeah, and that's, but that's also just a a great example of the fear that comes with growing because those kinds of things Mm. are unilateral. Those moves are, you know, you can't, you can't put that genie back in the bottle when you say whatever it is. They won't ever unhear that. And so now it's, it's layered against, it's part of the relationship once you say it out loud. Yeah. So that's the courage move, right? That's the, that's the courageous. If I want to lead towards that, it takes some courage to do that because I'm going to disrupt things for both of us.
1: And I think laying a foundation for how to have that conversation makes it it so much easier. Don't start with the really difficult stuff. Talk about, if you can start by talking explicitly about the things you already like in your erotic connection, that's going to build a foundation of we can talk about this stuff And it doesn't feel scary or difficult. It feels like we can share a positive understanding of what our erotic connection is. Because people don't even have those conversations of, what are the things you like about our sexual connection? Right. Let me tell you all the things I really enjoy about your genitals, right? Right. How often do we have that conversation? (laughs) I think we should have that conversation at least twice a year with our partner.
0: (laughs) and, And it's such, it's one of those that when you're listening to this, I can already see people going, well, one, I've never had that conversation or, how that that, yeah, that makes such sense of we're trying to solve some puzzle without knowing the pieces, without getting that data, with not, without even taking the first step of emptying them out and sorting through. Yeah.
1: And like just picking your favorites. Right. Like, let me just take you to my bookshelf and talk about my favorite books. That's a conversation we know how to have. Mm-hmm. When I think back on our erotic connection, let me tell you about my very favorite things. Right. That's not even including things that are like second tier favorite that I like completely adore, but are not like the peak moments. Right. And I'm like, it's a complicated experience. Some people they hear the idea of like let my partner spend five minutes telling me all the things I like about my genitals, I'd be like, yes, yeah, that'd be great. And other people would have really ambivalent feelings about it because they have ambivalent feelings about their own body. Mm-hmm. But. If there's one efficient way to transform your relationship with your own body, it's to see it through the eyes of someone who loves your body.
0: It's a great statement. Can
1: you hear my cat meowing at me?
0: They she they agree. Yes. Yep. She's
1: like, sing it, Emily. If,
0: if you're talking about a creature that is just full-on confident in themselves, that would be cats.
1: Yes. And she's <laughs> 17. And has never loved herself more.
0: <laughs> what a great depiction of, of what we should aspire <laughs> to be.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because the sort of the point of a long-term relationship is you're going to be there for a lot of change. Right. Which includes the way their body will change, the way their life will change, the way... Everything. Their internal world changes. yes and when you sign up for that, you are not signing up for your partner to be the person they were on the day you moved in together or got right. married. You're signing up for the changes. You're signing up for the gray hair. You're signing up for mm-hmm. the loss of hair. You're signing up for the changes in body shape and mm-hmm. size. Yeah, That I'm, all is extra stuff to love. That's like, oh, right. We I can't don't, believe it's been 10 years. You have so much less hair and you're so hot.
0: Right. No, that that's one of those. It's recognizing that... Uh, I'm signing up for this struggle, but there's a benefit and a value that's going to come with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, like, on a, like, gender tear today. I was I spent the morning writing about it. Uh, I think some people perceive their partner as... Communicating to the world something about themselves. Like, my partner walking around in the world has a particular status or a particular appearance Mm -hmm. or a particular number of Twitter followers or whatever. And it says something about me that Mm -hmm. that's true about them. Mm -hmm. And if that changes, if they leave Twitter and lose all their followers, does that say something about me now? Right. Like, and so we judge the experiences and changes our partners undergo as being... About us, right? Which are they about us?
0: <laughs> no, no, but we sure like to think they are.
1: We yes, it is so intuitive to decide, to infer, to react to a change as if it's about us, yeah. rather than sustaining a sense of wonder mm-hmm. about our partner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That whatever changes they experience, we are still just as freaking lucky. Mm-hmm. Today, as we were twenty, thirty, forty years ago, mm-hmm.
0: and if we can look at it, even luckier, because there is an element of of our improving and refining, as you were describing earlier, of yeah, because whatever it is that's appealing that I'm seeing, man, they who they have become, they're doing the same, yeah, right, and that's what I think that's what makes relationships on long on a long term basis so good and so beneficial, yeah.
1: And we are not talking about, like, spontaneous, hot and horny kind of desire. No. Right now. No. Like, we are talking about a kind of desire that comes from a very deep and emotional sense of connection with a human being. So you may turn up for, like, if you decide to schedule sex Mm -hmm. or if it's just sort of the right time. You may not have, like, an erection walking in the door. You might not be turned on as you get there. But you go through that transition process of the... You know, trimming your ear hair or whatever the thing is that you do, listening to audio something or changing into particular clothes that mm-hmm. make you feel sexy. And you put your body in the bed, you let your skin touch your partner's skin. And gradually your brain's going to go, oh, right. Right. This person. Right. This magical, delightful, wonderful person. Right. And a lot of people worry that if they don't have the hot and heavy, spontaneous desire, that there's something wrong. Right, that that change away from hot and heavy, horny is a worsening. That there's something worse about right. the responsive desire, where you're like, "Oh, oh, right, this is a this was a really good idea. I right. am glad we are here now." Right, that's actually the couples who sustain a strong sexual connection over decades. Responsive desire is how they experience desire most of the time. Mm-hmm. They don't report high rates of spontaneous desire. Like they're not like super horny for each other. Can't wait to put their tongues in each other's mouths. They appreciate their partner and they decide that it matters for their relationship. Mm -hmm. That they stop all the other things they could be doing, right? right? Like we have other things. We have jobs, we have kids, we have pets. Like we are busy. Right. So why would we stop doing all those things, close the door, and just spend time doing this frankly very silly thing that humans do right. why, why would we do that right because people have decided that it matters for their connection
0: mm-hmm.
1: that they take time away from the rest of their lives turn toward each other mm. and that only happens when it matters if like if it matters to you which yeah. it doesn't matter for everyone some people decide that it does not matter for yep. them and groovy do yep. you but the couples who sustain a strong sexual connections are the ones for whom they figure out what it contributes to their overall relationship and thus to their overall lives together.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's that's the challenge and journey we're on. And that's the challenge and journey that um, I'm loving how you've gone through and updated things to help mm-hmm. articulate that even more. And I'm also excited you're teasing out a new book here that you're talking about. So. <laughs> Uh, I'm excited about that. So Emily, tell people how they can find you if they want to hear more and know whenever this new work comes out.
1: Yeah. Uh, So the the book, you can get Come As You Are anywhere books are sold in any format. Uh, There is a new podcast coming out, the Come As You Are podcast on the Pushkin Network. And of course, I have a newsletter. So if you're like, I want to find out when the new book about long-term relationships is coming out, go to my website, EmilyNagoski.com, sign up for newsletter, and you'll get all the updates.
0: Perfect. Well, Emily, thank you so much for your work, uh, for joining me here today. And I'm, I'm glad we got to spend the whole time together. Rather than segmenting this out, let's just do the whole thing like we did. So <laughs> this has been so fantastic. Thank you so much.
1: It's my favorite thing to talk about. Thank you.
0: Okay. So now that, as you set it up at the beginning of the episode, Pam, um, listening to her conversation, was this too sciencey? Yeah. <laughs>
2: No, I thought I thought the conversation <laughs> was good. I mean, you guys are two academics chatting with each other, but um, so maybe there were some pieces that's like, mm, uh, but then you bring it in, you wrap it up right. a, in a bow, um, and, and when you get down to the simple things, like it's not about blood flow, it's about what's going on between the ears, right? Right. That's what I get. That right. And that makes total sense. And if we can, uh, both as a couple as a team, get down to that,
0: <laughs> yeah, And that makes sense for me. What stands out to me and the brilliance of all of her work that she's that she's been becoming known for is uh, simplifying the the dual decision process, the the mechanism mm-hmm. in your brain, yes. the accelerators and the brakes that those are working concurrently. Mm-hmm. That you can have these things that activate something but then there's also another thing that will slow it down and so it's just normalizing that kind of speech
2: and and understanding what i do that might be a brake or an accelerator for my spouse as well right what mm-hmm. what affects me but what affect well, affects my spouse too. based
0: based on what i mentioned in the show i will not be having a phone up when you come to bed tonight okay all right hint hint <laughs> Well, if you like the show, you can also let us know by reviewing our our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you listen. Your comments help spread the word about the show, and they help others frame their conversations about what goes on in their world and the the issues they face. Mm -hmm. Transcripts are available on each of the show notes of each of the episodes page. All our advertisers, deals, and discounts are also available on each of the episodes pages at passionatelymarried.net. Please consider supporting those who support the show. Uh, The greatest compliment you can give us is to live your life boldly and passionately and share it with those you care about along the way. Well, this has been Passionately Married Podcast. Thanks for taking some time out to spend it with us. And we'll see you next time.